you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. All right. Good day, everyone. And we are into week two after a fabulous week one of the 2024 NCAA Men's D12 volleyball season. As always, on screen, Rad Rothstratter of UC San Diego, Jay Hosick of George Mason, Dan Friend of Lewis, and Theo Edwards of CSUN. Thanks again, gentlemen, after a great number one episode to start off 2024. We will jump Morning. right into it. We got some uh, news last week about some rule changes. And, of course, I got to put it off of our 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 pool of guys here who are in the know. So uh, allowance of the double announced by the NCAA last week in a VolleyballMag.com article. And I wanted to get your guys' take on it because I actually threw it in a text that, that we were in discussion and Jay uh, responded. Uh, but I wanted to get everyone's take on it. So, Jay, so go ahead and start off with it. Well, uh, the rule change hasn't—I don't know if it's officially been enacted yet. I think I think it's in a vote. I'm hearing conflicting stories. I talked to a couple of referees up in Santa Barbara that said they're not so sure it's going to pass. I, I don't know one way or the other. I, I'll comment on the fact, assuming that they're going to pass it. Yeah. Purists are going to hate it. People, people, old school traditionalists are going to absolutely hate it. Um, people that are maybe, you know, newer to the game, if you will, it really does the outcome of the play. If anything, it's worse if, if you're really chucking balls, but it doesn't affect the trajectory. You're not, you're not able to make the ball curve any certain way or go any certain way faster. It's just a way to be a little bit more athletic and, and maybe some of those, you know, wonky plays, those out of system, just, you know, guys reaching for something that's way out of his range and, and, and is able to put up a ball for his guy to hit. I, I don't think it's really that big of a deal, to be honest with you. I, I, again, you're going to, I think it eliminates the issue of people yelling and screaming and throwing their hands up and the crowd's going to still scream regardless because it's the crowd. I just don't think it affects the game that much in a negative way. I think it just, for more about the purists and the traditionalists, you know, everybody can set the ball. Not everybody can be a setter. And the old days, it was such an art form, uh, at least from my perspective and I think it dumbs the game down a little bit from there, but really for the most part, it doesn't affect anything. If you ask me. Yeah. Thoughts on the panel here. Anyone else want to chime in? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. Um, I feel like this has been talked about quite a bit and, and especially over the years. And um, I, I think one of the, the, one of the interesting things about it is, is you've watched the game evolve across the country and on both the men's and the women's side, the, the tempos have gotten so much faster, um, you know, from when it was when, when this game first, you know, started and they were chucking high balls to Jay Hasek on, on the outside and, you know, think, yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really changed a lot. Um, I think that the, it's harder to call the game is so much faster. And I think if you want to talk about a consistency and trying to find some sort of consistency across all refing staffs coast to coast. Uh, and especially, I know I know this has been an issue on the women's side for sure. Um, but I think if you can take this one out of it, it's such a, it's such an, you know, a subjective call that if you can take this one out of it, I think it, it, it definitely levels the playing field without changing the game all that much. I agree with Jay. Like, I don't know that it really changes anything because, you know, a lot of refs have already gone to this a little bit as it is. Um, just in, in, you know, this weekend up in San Diego or Santa Barbara, um, there were a couple times where guys were complaining about doubles, complaining about throws. They weren't called. And uh, and I don't know that it necessarily changes the game all that much. Uh, I think it only makes things better and easy, easier for it to be consistent across the board. Yeah. And did you yeah, have something to say? I echo all know? that. It's to me, it's kind of what we've been doing for a while. Um, on the men's side, right? And now it's just kind of putting a formal rule in it where it was kind of some referee preference on if they were calling some of the doubles or some of them um, in certain situations. So, yeah, I think it's it's good for us. I think it'll have a, a much larger impact on the women's side and a little bit more of adjustment there. But I think for the most part, we've we've been around that or in that realm of that. And at most, that'll affect 
two points in a match, and that might even be a little bit generous. It could be one on a weekend. <laughs> Anything else to add, Dan? I, I I just think the FIVB doesn't call any doubles. Why are we calling doubles? So I think, I mean, if you go watch the game at the international level, it's just makes it a little easier on our official. Whether I agree or disagree with the purest beat, like I, I would rather see clean sets out of a setter. It's a skill position. But in terms of where our game's at and how it's being called and the, the burden on the officials of they don't have to call doubles. It just makes it simpler. It makes it simpler for the fans when they see it. They're not worried about why they call a double here, but not a double there. And so, uh, so I think it's probably the right move. I don't know about the nose ring thing. Wasn't that one on there too? Like, yeah, hey, that was on there also. Nose, get your nose. I can't wait for that to get approved. I can finally wear my. Uh, <laughs> you got the chain going from your nose to your ear. Like, that's great. I, I want to see that, Brad. Can you snap me a shot? So that'll be awesome. Yeah, dude. tonight I'll send it over to you. <laughs> I, I, I just want to clarify two things. I, I I'm I wish we'd start looking at the throwing that's going on, uh, the hitters across the board. And, and not not this past weekend, it wasn't too egregious. But if you start watching more and more, it's becoming a, a an integral part of every hitter's repertoire, if you will. Some of it's pretty good. It's tough to defend. And, and some of it is not it's not good it just it's eliminating the ability to hit a ball and and i want to clarify something that theo said you know chucking up high balls to me back in the day i was the worst out of system hitter you ever seen it was a roll shot to a corner at best so uh yeah it didn't it wouldn't have helped my game at all that's for sure jay brings up a good point though if you go watch some of the, the replays of guys when they take the ball prolong the block contact and throw it off it's off the attacker it's not off the blocker yeah. So it's like, and it's a tough one because the official is going to call it off the blocker nine out of 10 times. And I'll, you can sit there and say, Hey, go watch the replay. It leaves the, the attacker's hands last. You know what yeah. I mean? And so it'd be interesting to see how this matriculates just even at the international high levels, comparatively speaking too, uh, from that standpoint. That double hand attack, you know, some people got it. Some people don't. And I've seen more people that don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a developing part of the game because it is, as Jay said, it's becoming a part of the hitter's repertoire. And you know, even on the women's side, I was talking to Tyler Hildebrand this last season. He, oh, yeah, we, we do that for 15 minutes. <laughs> Learn how to do that shot. <laughs> so uh, in any case, uh, last week we had some uh, unanticipated breaking news that was kind of already known. But the new name of the show is the CVW Beach, not top 15, but top 20 because the ABCA now going to a top 20 for the first time and uh, wanted to get your guys thoughts in that first preseason poll, because we actually met before it was released. It was released about four or five hours later, but uh, I wanted to get you guys thoughts on what came out last week. And let's start with Dan on that one, since he is our ABCA rep. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Another opportunity to recognize a lot of great programs that uh, are some that are new, some that have been established and they're always kind of maybe a little bit on the bubble and, It'll be great for those programs, those kids, those coaches, uh, and those universities to have some recognition and work to climb up. You know what I mean? And so, and uh, and as our sport continues to grow uh, across the board, it, it just gives some more opportunities for some of that stuff, which is, uh, I think, good. Good, good. Anyone else? Yeah, to me, it. I mean, it just makes the matches matter a little bit more. You know, and I'm talking about the CSUN Grand Canyon match, like that was a really tough, well-fought match. And, you know, if that's last year, that's the number seventh team versus CSUN receiving votes. And this year it's seven versus 17. And it really kind of shows you that the difference in those 10 spots isn't that great, even at this point in the year. Um, so I think it really kind of shows the depth and the quality of volleyball um, that a lot of these teams that would have just been receiving votes are able to perform and play at. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great for all the NCAA men's volleyball. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I, you know, one of the ones matches I was watching closely was obviously one of the CBW matchups. It was a receiving votes, UC San Diego against number 20, Jay Hossig. So I'll let Jay comment on that one. <laughs> well, no, I, I agree with Brad a hundred percent. You know, we're, we're in a moment in time where the game is expanding in terms of its viewership. I mean, you, you look at the women's game this past year, they had record record viewership. Um, but if you're an average fan of men's volleyball, <clears throat> you're looking for matches to watch. You're you're sitting there at home on a Friday, Saturday night, and you're looking at a match you want to watch. 
when you're scrolling through all the numbers or all the match lineups, you know, if you see, you know, number 13 against a blank ranked team, you're probably not going to watch it unless you have some vested interest. However, you see number 19 versus number eight, like Brad said, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that might be worth watching. And it's no different than maybe the teams if they were three years ago, but the difference is the ranking in front of it allows the average viewer to be able to say, oh, this is a team that is considered a better team in the country. And I want to watch good volleyball. And the teams that in years past are not the quote unquote traditional powerhouse names, you know, like the USC's and the UCLA's and the Penn State's and all that. Now all of a sudden you get to watch a Lincoln Memorial. Now all of a sudden you get to watch uh, an NJIT. Now all of a sudden you get to watch a smaller name program because there's a number attached to it. It's not a, it's not an ambiguous number. It's not just out there just to be out there. The coaches that are doing the polling, they're looking at what's going on. And these teams are rightfully deserving of that spot. And so I just think it's good for viewership. It's good to expand the growth of the game on the, on the social media side. Well, I'm going to piggyback on your point. So I was uh, jumping around on Carrie Walsh Jennings uh, Instagram feed and on her stories, she posted something from front office sports. I didn't send this to you guys. I didn't think we'd go in, but Jay somehow gets me to segue all this, like what I think is useless information at the time ends up being uh, relevant for our show here. But um, front office sports put out a graphic saying that of the top 10 big news in women's sports for them were volleyball. Well, women's volleyball related in that pro volleyball federation had their first draft, which is the uh, pro league that's starting up in February. And then a uh, pro volleyball federation signs with a major network CBS. And then the uh, NCAA volleyball title match sets a viewership record, which I should know that number off the top of my head, but I don't. And NCAA sets two volleyball attendance records. That was in their top 10 for the year in a, in a non volley publication. So um, growth of the game is important and men should be able to piggyback on that. And they, we've got to piggyback on that because I always tell people, if you like what you're seeing on the women's side, you got to see that on the men's side times 10, because that's what the pace is. Well, and, and let's, let's, you know, let's really just hit the nail on the head here for years. The women's game has followed the men's game in terms of its style of play and its speed. But now the men's teams need to start taking lead and following what the women are doing in terms of social media and exposure. So we both can help each other on that pendulum. And I think it's a, it's a perfect marriage. If you ask me, if we just start to, we got to strike while the iron's hot. Well, perfect marriage means uh, Theo Edwards there because uh, <laughs> his social media at CSUN's kicked up this year and it's noticeably a great job by your guys. But want to get your thoughts on this and then what else you you want, whatever you want to add on. Sure. Yeah. I, Jay and I were talking about it this weekend. Um, and one of the things that 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 was really on on the topic for us was how the tournament has expanded, but it's not expanding. It's expanding via automatic qualifiers. Right. We're going to leave a lot of good teams at home. It's the absolute truth. And if everyone knows how does any sport in the United States make money, it's the tournaments. It's the bowl games, right? These, these are how you generate funds. And so now I think this top 20, what it does is it helps our argument for can't you guys see this could be an incredible tournament. This could be an incredible tournament for us one day. And obviously, I think, in you know, we're constantly seeing the NCAA is failing in, in multiple areas. They're losing lawsuits in ways that they regulate certain teams and, and how they put together certain aspects of the sport. And for men's volleyball, I think they have it wrong. And if we could expand the tournament and we could have an opportunity to see 24 teams, 32 teams compete and have an opportunity. I, we're You're going to see all year long. We're going to be talking about it on this podcast. The teams in this 15 to 20 range can beat teams that are in that 7, 8, 9, 10 all day long. And we're going to talk about it here. We're going to see it happen over and over again. We almost saw Lewis do it just a few nights ago. So I think we got to continue to have these conversations. And obviously us moving to the top 20 is a fantastic move for men's volleyball um, and something that's super exciting to hopefully one day we can see a, a massive tournament expansion and have an opportunity to see all of the best teams compete. Well said. 
Well, with that, let's jump into our week one action. And rather than have me dictate what matches caught your guys' eyes and the results, I'm going to start off with Jay because he's been a little quieter this morning. I think it's because he's on the West Coast now. <laughs> yeah, I've had to, I got up early as opposed to being able to sleep in and, you know, kind of have my morning <laughs> coffee, which, you know, I'm still enjoying right now to this very moment. Um, there, there are a few things that caught my eye and there's a couple things I want to mention at the end of this whole thing, but there was a few things that caught my eye. One is that, you know, what Theo talked about, you know, the teams seven through 15, 16, they're going to be really just kind of beating each other up throughout the course of the year. And that's great for volleyball. It's great for the fans because there's parity. Um, you know, the top five teams are still pretty good, but I think there's a couple things that stand out to me. One uh, Dan and I uh, ran into a juggernaut opposite uh, on, in our matches that uh, really made a difference and changed the game. Uh, you know, we went up 2-0 against Santa Barbara and felt pretty good about our performance uh, and we're up in game three. And then all of a sudden, Jesse Bianchi decided to flip a switch and we couldn't stop it. Uh, and I think Dan, and when he was facing Penn State, you know, John Kerr, I think the last time I checked, he got 438 attempts. Um, and I, I don't know how his shoulder's still attached to his body right now. Uh, but the kid was unbelievable. And that's a grad student, everyone. That's not a first, second year kid who's not, you know, got recruited and came in and is just really, really good. That's a grad student who sat behind Cal Fisher for the last four years. Let that sink in for a second. You don't think that kid's got a little chip on his shoulder trying to show everybody I should have been playing this whole time. But, you know, one player can be the difference maker. Uh, and and I think, uh, you know, there were great matches to be watched up in Santa Barbara. There were great matches across the country. Loyola going into Hawaii with three freshmen on the court uh, and beating Hawaii at Hawaii. That's a big deal. Um, you know, and, and Lewis who is a team that that was rebuilding last year, all of a sudden going five with a powerhouse like Penn State in their place. I think we as voters and, and, and fans are going to start to notice it's not just about, you know, winning a match, but if you're going five with somebody who's big, that's going to make a statement. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, it was a great tournament. I, I'm, I'm stoked that I got to play Theo and Brad. You know, Brad and I talked about afterwards, it was not the best looking volleyball by either one of our teams. It was our first match of the year. And I think it was his second. There were lots of, you know, foibles and craziness and ugly volleyball being played. And he took the best of it from us. Uh, and as we got moved on through the week, we got a little cleaner. And then I got to see Theo and it's been a while since I've beaten Northridge. So that's always fun. And I, I just want to mention, you know, that the AD must be paying attention because they lose to, you know, number 20, George Mason. And all of a sudden they turn off the heat in his office because the kid's wearing a parka like he's out in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> and he's I'm in not, his office. Uh, 40 degrees in Southern California, Jay. It's 40 degrees. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, the rough and rugged streets of, of Nordhoff. <laughs> North, you know, Northridge is like a, 75. It is a blistering 52 degrees this morning. I don't remember the last time it was this cold. And I'm freezing. <laughs> Theo, I'm with you. Go, is like, go Columbia jacket. Go heavy, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, all my guys are in shorts and tank tops, and they're sitting out by the pool right now at 52 degrees. It's <laughs> well, great calls on matches. How about you? Let's go to Brad on the matches that caught your eye results. Yeah, I think the, the big ones, I mean, the Loyola-Hawaii, I think those are fun kind of battles to see, and it's like it's really cool this time of the year to see the teams unfold and see what's going to happen where Loyola starts with the lineup. And then um, I think it was in second or third set. They have a little bit spark with uh, freshman setter Cole Schobel, freshman outside Jake Reed getting subbed in um, to go along with uh, Lucas Anderson, the other freshman uh, outside they had. And just seeing that roll over into that next night for them and seeing them win in five is is really cool and I'm a little biased. I spent a couple of years with those guys uh at the uh club level. But um so seeing that unfold and like the the story of that and you know and then you have Lucas Anderson as a serving sub coming in and serving a bunch of points there in that fifth set against his former club teammate Tred Rosensall who's setting as a freshman for Hawaii and just a lot of really good young volleyball players there. Um and then go over to uh to Provo and you see the ball state versus BYU and BYU with two really, really impressive 
wins there um, in strong fashion and with a couple different guys similar to last year you know they didn't just have one main guy they had a couple different guys stepping up on different nights with Luke Benson being really good one night and then you had Meeks Ramones and and uh, Capono Brown being a little bit better the second night so really interesting volleyball to watch and it's fun seeing all these teams kind of put different pieces together and see how they all come together um so early on in the year oh, without a doubt you know the uh the hawaii match you know hawaii came out strong on night one Hakas leading the way with 16 kills they, but i was impressed with tread rosenthal because if you come back in and you're following up a Jakob tella for the last four or five years i'm like there's there's a ton of pressure on you and he i feel like he handled it great and they what was mind blowing is I think he just turned 17 or something like that. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So, uh, you know, great future ahead. Uh, if he just sticks with it and stays with the training there in Hawaii and, uh, with all the USA stuff, he's only going to get better. So, uh, impressive, but, uh, you know, you, you actually touched on something there, the, uh, Brad in that fifth set, uh, proud mama moment, uh, Lucas Anderson comes in. That's Anne Marie Anderson's son, by the way, uh, commentator for, uh, ESPN, the Olympics, VNL, and all that. That was her son, proud mama moment. She's got her social media blowing up. You know, they're down 12 8. He serves some solid balls and go, and basically Loyola goes on an 8 1 run. They're down 12 8 and win that match. So, um, and that was because of your OC boys, you seem to drop Cole Schlobel, Jake Reed, along with Lucas Anderson serve. But, you know, Parker Van Buren, man, feel sorry for you, Dan. You're going to have to deal with that twice this year. So uh, he's looking really good. Got a few guys, so, Jacob Pasture, Parker Van B- I'm not, <laughs> it is what it is. So. Just chipping a little bit at a time there, Dan. All right. yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, finish out with uh, um, Theo and his, uh, his matches he caught. Yeah, I always always love that first week of volleyball um, on the men's side because I think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for some crazy things to happen. Um, and we saw some really, really great volleyball. The, the Santa Barbara tournament was – it did not disappoint uh, just the competitive level, right? To, to watch, obviously, San Diego go five with NJIT and find a way to pull that out. Looking like George Mason was beating the brakes off of Santa Barbara. Um, and somehow, and like, like, like Jay said, their opposite just comes to life. And as we're sitting in the stands watching it, we're like, is this a, is this a career night? It's starting to look like a career night. And, he just kept killing every single ball. And we're like, uh, yep, starting to look like a career night. And he turns around, they end up going five, and Santa Barbara squeaks one out, survives it, really. Um, and then the matches that we had, I think, were were really, really tight and super, super close and, and really competitive and just a lot of fun up at that Santa Barbara one. And I told my guys we were – I think it was set two um, with the George Mason and, and CSUN match. I told my guys, I said, hey, listen, we have a podcast on Monday – Jay cannot go 0 and 3. He can't go 0 and 3 this weekend, guys. He's a great friend of mine. I know it's 32 32. You guys want to finish this. We're going to let him have it. We're going to let him have this one. So we went ahead and we let George Mason take it away. We gave that one to Jay. Jay, that's my gift to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, it was a lot of fun. And and George Mason played great. They got some really, really talented players, and uh, I think they're going to make some noise in the EIVA this year. Um, cross to the other matches, I thought BYU had had two statement wins, um, and I think the the bigger the bigger question is: Is Ball State as good as we all think they are? Um, and w- what's always interesting about those early matches is they could mean absolutely nothing, honestly. Um, and we could see Ball State turn around and 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 start rocking and rolling. And um, but it's always interesting to see two sweeps like that. And uh, you know, it'll be cool to see what Donut does to get those guys to rally and, and bounce back in the following weeks. Um, the other ones that stood out, definitely the Loyola one. I thought that was super super interesting. Um, and then the Lewis one. I think we got to have a conversation about that. I I had picked Lewis to beat Penn State and upset them and. And they were damn close. <laughs> they were they were damn close, and and took them to the brink. And and you know it's a testament of of, of what Dan's doing with Lewis, and um, you know some real podcast power over here. So it was a great first week, fun fun to watch. Well, so uh, Jess Bianchi was the opposite that you are referring to from UC Santa Barbara. 
transfer over from Orange Coast College, Laguna Beach kid, 51 kills in two nights of play. Then he came across Grand Canyon, and Grand Canyon found a way to just contain him. But well, I mean, still, he, 51. he had to have ran out of steam. I mean, he he was hitting so many balls. And I did, what that first night, how many kills did he have? 31. <laughs> and he hit 531 and 479 those two nights. Wow, that's <laughs> just absolutely incredible. Thanks for reminding me, Theo. Appreciate it. <laughs> now, Dan, did I skip you? I think I, I did. I get your picks. I'm, I'm like, I've no, been chattering with notes. It's okay. You know, Go ahead. Uh, no, no. We no. always want to have you on there, especially that great picture of you and Pav after your guys like long uh, alley brawl drool uh, brawl. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little different direction. Um, so talk about Fort Valley State, Morehouse, and Central State. So um, Nakobe Visuals is doing some social media stuff, and it was great. I thought he took some clips uh, of those schools when they were playing a against like a UCLA and, and some things like that. So giving those guys a little bit of love. But this, you know, those programs getting out there and other institutions finding ways to schedule them and promote what the SIAC is trying to do. Uh, which was really, really good and giving those kids experience. I mean, I watched Central State play Penn State the first night, and those guys are just jacked to be playing in Rec Hall, which I can only imagine is the same thing for Fort Valley and Morehouse out at UCLA and SC and Pepperdine. And so, uh, again, just great to see the growth of volleyball and, and see those schools compete and those kids get those opportunities, which will only make them better down the road. And so, uh, and outside of that, I just, early year volleyball, it's awesome. So all these guys playing each other out at Santa Barbara, and whoever's surviving on the third day is just hoping they get a few pieces together. But the other thing to talk a little bit about is, so you see Loyola win, you see him going to Stanford last night and play their second group or whatever he might be doing. And uh, and then you'll probably see that, again, they play tonight. Uh, and does he bring out the what we think is the starting group? And what does that match look like where some of Stanford's players now have going to play back-to-back? -back. So it'll be an interesting to kind of, see that dynamic if they if they go out of the the two weekends two and two walking into playing ucla I, I think they're in a pretty good spot as they open up the year and get some valuable game reps for all of his guys not just hey who, who we might think the seven or eight starters are in terms of that and then uh i think the ball state thing's interesting because tanisha you know I, he's not on the court yet yeah and yep. so like does he, he he ends up on the court that's a totally different team and so like and uh, how's that play out over the next month? And does he find a way back on the court for whatever reason that might be injury or whatever else is going on? And so, but I certainly think he's an intricate piece in that, uh, in that puzzle a little bit from that standpoint. And then Damon took the first game off Ohio state. Uh, and then Ohio state looked like they turned on the, turned on the pressure for sure. And Jacob was lighting it up from the serving line, but that was another match where like, all of a sudden you're going to say, Hey, we're going to see an upset from Damon. Who's certainly done some nice things over the past few years. And so. Great stuff, Dan. Um, gosh, so many things went through my mind, little side notes uh, on everything that you've said there. But first of all, what the, the freshest one was uh, Jacob Pastor. A video went viral last night of him popping a jump serve and uh, just beaning someone from Damon. Thing went off of him and into the rafters, which you can't even see. And uh, the, the caption said, 80 miles per hour is what it was. And I put in the caption, like, was it really 80? I got a response from none other than Cameron Gillen, the guy who received the pass or the serve from Damon. He's like, I can confirm it was 80 miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, actually Cameron Gillen had a great night as well. He led the way on the Damon side of things, but Ohio state turned it on and uh, that's a good team right there. Uh, regarding the, what was called the HBCU so-called SoCal challenge. That was a teams of, uh, Morehouse and Fort Valley State, they faced off with uh, Pepperdine, UCLA, and USC. And what a great experience for those teams from the SIAC. Um, you know they had a ball. Their social was going bonkers because they were having a ball. I mean, let's we had incredible weather the whole time they were out here. And I know they were doing their beach Santa Monica thing. But you know, more importantly was the play. And uh, Spira and UCLA hosted a reception on one of the nights. And you know, I was looking all over. I did not realize that one of the administrators in the athletics at UCLA was a uh, alumni of Morehouse. So he was the keynote speaker. And gosh, what a great opportunity. And if anyone's been in that area where they have all the receptions at UCLA, that's a nice room there. 
and uh, have that kind of setting with all those teams being introduced to the game and the potential could be, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you're inspiring, you know, up to like 60 other individuals in that room to do it better. So, uh, and to grow the game. But, yeah, uh, and, those, and those matches, I don't think it's no surprise. Those matches are not those teams coming into those powerhouses and expecting to win. You know, they, they want to play well, uh, but a lot of them are first, second, third year programs. What they're doing is they're showing their kids, this is what it looks and feels like live. Now those guys and those teams are going to go back to their gyms and they're going to start to try to recreate some things. And the coaches of those teams, they know how it's done, but now the players know how it feels. And that's, that's where some real progression is going to start. Can I piggyback yep. something? So I had an email this yesterday that I had to respond to, and this may be a topic later on the road, but Division two is getting ready to vote whether or not to lower the number of teams that required to create a championship for a sport from 50 to 35. And the email I got says, how does that affect men's volleyball? And I was asked to respond because I'm actually skipping that meeting right now to hang out with you guys. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but basically my response was like, we're in this really good growth phase of men's volleyball. Um, and if D2 separates off from men's volleyball, uh, it has a, a really negative impact, I think, in terms of where we're growing. There might be a time 10, 15 years down the road where there's 50 or 60 D1s or 50 or 60 D2s, and it's a good time to break off. But the opportunity for Division II schools to compete in the realm with Power Fives, mid-majors, and all this stuff, and the notoriety that it brings to the campus, to the kids, and the experiences that they get from that uh, is huge. And I, I think it'd be a missed mark for and short-sightedness from some maybe Division twos that maybe aren't competing necessarily where they want to um, on the overall growth of the game and where we want to be. Now, certainly I speak from the flip side of our program, but that was how I responded in the email. And I gave him kind of some background and backstory of it all. But I think it's going to pass, and that doesn't automatically mean Division two starts because each, you know, rifle's different and hockey's different and all that stuff. But I do think as it moves towards some of that, hopefully we can uh, protect our sport in the growing direction it's going a little bit. Yeah. Good piece there. Um, I was going to throw a little, you know, unexpected question, a little curveball, but this one's a, got a question over a direct message. It was specifically for Jay. I thought I'd entertain it because we got some good fans now, good loyal fans listening from a um, TMUM Volleyball is the handle. Special request for Jay. Jay, what was going through your mind as a coach when the scouting report on UCSB went out the window with their first set lineup? <laughs> well, I may, I may have I may have said this reference in episodes past, but I'll, I'll give the reference again. I'm going to do my impression of the opposing coach uh, that played against Wilt Chamberlain during his 100-point game at halftime. Uh, hey, who's got Wilt? So, you know, the kid, the kid went ballistic um, attacking wise. I, I, I don't remember uh, being wowed by serve or block or defense. He may have had some that I'm not trying to take anything away from his performance, but obviously I was focusing on his, his attack, his ability to find range uh, and open spots in the court. And we just, and he hit it and find it every time. And when we did get a block, yeah, there was, was pretty pretty much worth celebrating but you know that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to do and opposites are the guys that really only have three jobs it's hit the snot out of the ball serve the snot out of the ball and block the snot out of the ball and i i know if you can get you know two of those three or all three and i give a night hey that's a bonus but you know hitting the snot out of the ball and just chucking it up to him every once in a while to to get a kill kids legit it was a it was a it was a hair pulling moment i'll say that That'd be Jay, just beyond. If I can intervene, he he, yeah. that the internet uh, user was wondering because Santa Barbara started that match with a with their backups. It was a different group, and he, he was curious what you were thinking when they started the backups that first set. Oh, is that oh. what they were asking? Because well, it's Theo well, that sent the question. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Uh, I think if they watched the night before his performance, I might have started my B side too. We weren't very good, um, but our guys I, at the end of the match, a couple of guys talked about that and they said, "Listen, you know, if anybody starts their B side guys and we don't handle them the way we're supposed to in the first game, it's a sign of it's a sign of us 
not being able to rise to the occasion. And it's a sign of disrespect that they don't pull them out and put somebody else back in. And they did. Uh, and we handled them in the second game too. So I, I think that's, I think, and, and listen, it's early in the year. He could be just mixing some things up, but Rick doesn't want to lose. So he put his other guys in there and thought they can get some playing time, maybe get a win against a team that might, it may, may not be really crisp at the moment, but I, I have, I have no complaints about it. I, I might've done the same thing if I watched me play the night before too. Yeah. Can I, well, can I just, be, before I know we yes. got other things to talk about and I, I'm a little bit on time. There, there are two things I want to talk about quickly about the Santa Barbara tournament. Uh, first and foremost, there's a roughing crew up there uh, that uh, I've known for 25 plus years. Um, Rick McLaughlin, Tony Chan, John Park. Those are the guys that off the top. Hey, of Rick, Olmstead. Rick Olmstead. Yeah, Rick Olmstead. Uh, sorry, I didn't know Rick. McLaughlin was repping his own match. I was looking at my notes. The morning match. Yeah, that's how he beat Jay. I got it now. I didn't see that. <laughs> uh, you know, Rick Olmstead, obviously the father of Olmstead up at BYU, the, the coaching duo. You know, Rick is a, a stalwart uh, of Santa Barbara and of uh, the refing community. Uh, and to show you the level of, of of friendship that we've developed over the years, for those of you that know me, when I first started coaching at Santa Cruz, I wore flip-flops when I coached, uh, just because I was young and dumb and stupid and I didn't know any better. Uh, and uh, <laughs> sure enough, um, I walked into the gym my first night and John Park and, and Rick and Tony were there. And Rick is on the stands sees me walking across the back of the gym, sees me goes and sit up in the bleacher somewhere. A timeout is called. And all of a sudden a young lady walks over to me and she said, uh, Rick said that uh, if you're going to wear flip-flops for the match, he's going to give you a red card. <laughs> and I looked at him and he turns around, he gives me this little smile and literally pulls out a red card and looks at me. And so, you know, those are, those are some fond memories of people that I've, I've grown the game with. But here's what, here's what Rick's really doing. Uh, he works with uh, a, a group and, and runs a, a, a homeless um, clothing uh, distribution thing. So what basically has happened, and, and Theo has been a part of this, any volleyball team that's out there, if you have changed over uh, from one clothing company to another and you have a bunch of surplus, or maybe at the end of every year you've got a surplus of shoes or socks or sweatshirts and sweats, what Rick does is he takes that collection and he distributes it to the people, the homeless people that he works with. That's a really good thing to do. You know, if you know Rick, you know that he's got a good heart uh, and he just wants to help people. Uh, and I told him, man, when I go back, I'm going to take a look at our stockpile and see what we've got. And I know Theo's already donated some. I know Long Beach State has donated a bunch. I know UCLA's donated a bunch. So if any coaches out there, you want the information to be able to send to Rick a, maybe a care box package, Email me at George Mason. I will forward you that information for Rick so that you can send it to him. I know he would appreciate it. And obviously the people that are receiving these goods, they really appreciate it too. Well, and to echo that, one of the things that, that Rick has, has expressed to us is a lot of those homeless that he's working with are tall and they're bigger people. And they struggle to find them shoes. They struggle to find them sweatpants and pants that fit. And so the movement to try and get some of these oversized clothing that we all have access to um, and get them to the homeless people that really need it is, is just fantastic. And Rick is doing an awesome job with it. So yeah. thanks for sharing that Jay. Yeah. Yeah. I echo those same statements of all you guys who've been working with Rick. I've known him for a very long time as well, believe it or not. And I mean, he may look salty on the outside, but he's all sugar on the inside. So. Um, and he's and still he, pretty salty at times. I love that about him. I love it. It's like, it's games, not sets, Rob. It's games. I'm like, whoa, back to the 80s. Come on. Yeah. But <laughs> um, but he's also on the beach. So I see him very regularly here uh, in Southern California. And he's always got some kind of good jokes. Some some about himself, which is funny. But <laughs> which I'll, I'll share in another episode because I know we're running behind. And Jay's got a hard stop as he's getting ready to take on the uh, Anteaters of UC Irvine in his old office area of Crawford Hall, Port. <laughs> So um, with that, I wanted to get you guys players of the week because that went really big last year. And I started doing the graphics of your guys' choices of players of the week. And it could be a tough one this week because uh, a few names already been thrown out. So uh, let's start with uh, Brad. He's been thinking long and hard, I think. Oh, yeah. I uh, There's a couple ways we could go here, but I'm going to go. I'm going to keep it up in Santa Barbara from the tournament. Um, 
Jess Bianchi came to mind, but I'm going to give a shout out to Nick Slight. Um, he ended up earning MVP of the tournament. Um, him and Camden Gianni was the opposite there, but um, set really, really well. And I think, you know, they have some new guys in some new spots and they're trying to figure out what that looks like. But it, they were able to really kind of get things humming, you know, and there's some stretches early on and some stretches even in that Santa Barbara match where it wasn't perfect. But his experience, his ability to lead, his ability to set and run an offense um, was tough for us to stop and um, really tough for everyone to stop. So uh, Nick Slight gets my uh, player of the week. Well, your team's video on the uh, bus ride home about your uh, all-tournament honoree hitting negative <laughs> something one night and then 500 the next night and got all-tournament team, they are bagging on him. I'm like, wow, <laughs> no love on that bus on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep it real, you know? <laughs> Let's go over to, uh, let's go Theo on his uh, player of the week. Sure. So I think I'm going to throw out Luke Benson. Um, night one, 17 kills, 762 for BYU. Um, and and just one heck of a performance, uh, especially to do it against a team like Ball State. Uh, the other one that I got to throw in there, and we mentioned this just briefly, um, is Jacob Pastor. Uh, 18 kills. He only hit 263. But we all saw that 80 mile per hour clip. And I don't know if they registered that thing on a gun, but from a video perspective, that is one of the fastest serves I have seen in a really, really long time. Um, so obviously he got it going from the, uh, from the service line and did some nice things and definitely got to give him a shout out. So those are my two yeah. Luke Benson, Jacob Pastor. The only thing I've seen him hit a 78 cause I was right next to the gun when he hit it. And that was gnarly looking. So I can't even imagine what 80 looks like. <laughs> we're not seeing very many of those 80 is, 80 is that, that's an international level for sure <laughs> let's uh go over to dan <clears throat> oh, man. john kerr i mean he's in front of me <laughs> what, uh, he's all over you not in front of you <laughs> yeah yeah and so like uh i think uh really nice performance by him and uh even when we slowed him down on the forward to get to fifth they they uh they found him a couple times again in the fifth and so uh uh but it almost kind of si silently got 30 kills and i think all the coaches know what i mean to say that you kind of look up and all of a sudden we're in game three or you know early game four and it's like where do you, he's at 26 already and you don't even quite realize it uh from that standpoint and so um but you know really nice job by uh, what i would say is kind of a quiet killer he's not this super loud guy but he certainly got a competitive piece about him and he did a nice job and he served really well, which isn't in the stat line. He's kind of got this uh, float uh, that's coming down from a high angle because he's a big guy and uh, can really pay some some damage. And it got us on a game one time. And so like uh, so he's doing a couple of different things out there versus just uh, attacking the ball right there. So. So, Dan, I was going to ask you about your match against him. <laughs> I know we're kind of tangenting a little bit, but Toby Eziono has been on fire and seems your middles may have contained him. Yeah, because he didn't get Toby numbers like he normally has been getting we so got far. Toby eyes in the last two points of the fifth game. So I've been on <laughs> the Tyler Mitchum side of that. And I've had that guy. And so like <laughs> Schwobai, he kind of tossed a couple in there uh from like eight, nine feet when this kind of drift ball up and you just can't stop it. We, people couldn't stop Tyler, they can't stop Toby when he's on that set right there. And so, but uh yeah, we were I, I think we did a couple of things, but ultimately they found him when they needed to. So yeah. And he serves right. the ball. He serves the ball almost, I don't know what it is, 65, 70. Sometimes he unloads on this kind Toby. of hybrid float. Not It's really a hybrid jump serve thing, and it comes at you with some pace. So There we go. He got you from the service line and the middle. So find, finish that with Jay's uh, player of the week. I'm just waiting for it. It's going to come. Toby's going to learn how to hit the naked two-ball fake pump, uh, and it's going to be nasty. Um, all the guys – that they mentioned are well, well deserving. Obviously, uh, Bianchi is my call. Um, I just, you know, you, you you do everything you can. And when the kid still finds ways to get kills, um, it's quite impressive to see. And I'm, you know, unfortunately on the receiving end of it, but at the same time, you know, kudos to the kid who, you know, there's a few guys in that gym that have been working at that position for a while and he's coming in and, and saying, Hey, I want the position for good. So uh, I'm going to give him the love. I'm going to give one more shout out to one of my boys played for me for four years. Che Cooper, outside hitter at Fort Valley State, 
watched some of the highlights from him playing against UCLA, got some big swings and some big kills. Super proud of you, kid. I, I know you're doing great things out there, and I'm, I'm just super stoked for you. All great calls by our coaching panel, which brings us now to what you're watching in week two. And there's a lot, over 30-something matches. And that was all I was able to input. I stopped because it was getting too late to input all of them. So, um, But there are a lot. Feel free to have at it. And um, let's see, who looks ready? Jay, you look like you're like super prepared this morning. Well, uh, super prepared is, is one way to look at it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really interested to see what Loyola does against BYU. I know they're playing Stanford tonight. I want to see what they do against BYU. I believe that one's at home. So Loyola is going to be back from a long road trip, maybe get a few nights of rest in their, in their own beds. That will help out a little bit. Uh, BYU is a team that has resurged over the last couple of years. They had some rebuilding years there. Um, and I'm interested to see those two, two teams go at it. I'm also, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Charleston and Queens uh, in two names that, uh, kind of an opposite ends of the spectrum. Charleston had a fantastic year last year. I had a long run in the beginning of the year uh, with a lot of wins in a row. They lost a large number of those guys that were part of that team. Uh, but Luke is a really good recruiter and he's bringing in a lot of kids from other places and foreign countries. And I'm interested to see what Charleston looks like. Queens, uh, you know, just joined the MEVA. Uh, Jeremy over there is doing a nice job of building that program. And so I'm interested to see what happens there. Those are the two matches I'll be paying attention to. All right, let's jump over to uh, Dan. Um, yeah, we'll see what Lindenwood and Grand Canyon do. Um, they play twice. Lindenwood returns uh, AJ Lewis on year nine, uh, whatever it, that might be. Do you know what I mean? And so, uh, but uh, uh, so I'll be curious. It'll be Lindenwood opening up, and they've got some nice pieces. Um, and then, I mean, I got a few others, so I don't want to steal people's, but I want to see uh, San Diego and Ohio State. You guys play right, Rad? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that'll be uh, it'll be a little bit more of a test for Ohio State, and I'm curious to see how that goes. And one other one I'll pick is Long Island comes out and we saw Long Island win the, their league last year and they're paying Pepperdine and SC and uh, what do they have for pieces and what are they doing? And so that'll be a good test for them early on. So. Yeah. All right. We'll go to Theo. Yeah. I think tonight is going to be a fun one, right? Loyola and Stanford. Um, I think that's going to be, that's going to be a good matchup. Uh, obviously we haven't seen Stanford, but I think the, the consensus is they're going to be pretty darn good this year. Um, so I think it'll be good to see them and then also see how Loyola responds coming off that big win. Um, definitely still curious in, in, in Irvine as well, right. And, and seeing them. So George Mason takes them on and uh, you know, I think have George Mason having three matches under their belt, getting a little bit of the jitters out uh, be interesting to see how they take on UCI. Cause I think UCI is going to be great and, and uh, it's going to be a really good matchup for them. So those are the two I'm watching. And then Brad. <clears throat> I forgot how much it stinks going last whenever we're doing this, but uh, <laughs> I would have watched Stanford Loyola tonight, but I'm uh, I'm married into a household of Husky fans. So I'll be, I'll be cheering for you dub tonight uh, and watching that. <laughs> um, and I think uh, really the BYU UCLA going out to Lewis Loyola, I think those are going to be some really good matchups um, to get to see uh, a lot of teams that all had really good showings in the opening weekend and seeing them continue to play against high level opponents for back-to-back -back weekends is always, you learn a lot more about your team going into that second week. So um, I think both of those or all four of those matches out there are going to be really high level and entertaining and we'll keep learning more about all those top teams. Yeah. I want to add mine because I surprised I didn't hear these ones, but you know, obviously two teams in the big West haven't seen action. That's UC Irvine and Long Beach state, Long Beach state faces Long Island uh, this week. And uh, UC Irvine faces the fighting Jay Hossicks, uh also known as the Patriots, uh, but they have a busy week. So I'll be working those, but UC Santa Barbara and Stanford square off twice this week. And um, th that should be a good one. Those are two grinding teams. I know one's younger than the other, but you know, you know, those coaching staffs are, are preparing for those big ones. Uh, BYU at Loyola and then uh, BYU at Lewis. That's a, uh, I know, it, after Dan's performance against Penn State, this could be a knockdown drag out brawl over in Romeoville. So that that should be fun to watch as well. So uh, oh, I got to throw, I got to throw one more in there. All right. 
Pepperdine and Lincoln Memorial. Oh, yeah. I, that that could be interesting. That could be a really, really interesting one. Are you calling something there, Theo? It kind of sounds I, like you're calling something. I don't know that I'm ready to make any calls. <laughs> <laughs> but I think – Lincoln I, Memorial uh, at number 19 in this, uh, the preseason polls. That's a, a great well, call. This, does anybody know what the situation is with Cash over at Lincoln Memorial? So obviously he's going to the women's side. Dan, can you can you touch on that? Well, yeah, just Cash went to you were saying it went to the women's side, then they elevated their assistant to the head coach. So, yeah, so yeah, so be right to before the season at. started. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. what I meant, Dan. Like on the timing of it, like what's the. What's kind of the what, what, yeah, I don't know. Like we don't know what's going on in their gym though. Do you know what I mean? I think like they might have finally split the position, which honestly I, I think they should do. It's the same thing that happened with Nikki at McKendry. They're finally splitting that position. Uh and so and it might have been they might have been setting it up the whole time. Like and the guys might know it too. So we we look at it from the outside perspective, going, Hey, why would they do it right now? But if they might have timed it like that and been like, Cash is still helping in the backside, but as they walk into the season to start, you know, he's going to be the guy and he's the main guy in terms of that. So I just, I don't, I don't know if we know all the details and I think they probably had it knowing cash. They probably had it set up and this is how it kind of worked out in terms of that uh, from that side. So yeah, to me, I heard a few things that just, it was kind of known before it was right. known to everyone else. Yeah. Well, always good stuff. Oh, go ahead, Theo. Yeah, that's that's what I figured. Um, but they they both of them have done such a tremendous job over there. So it'll be it'll be exciting to see them get the year started and and obviously uh, to face off with a team like Pepperdine who's got a ton of talent. It'll be fun. Yep. Well, with that, uh, that concludes episode two of our 2024 season of NCAA Men's Division One Two Volleyball here on CVW. Not the men's top fifteen, but the top twenty. But uh, a discussion came out on Volleyball Talk uh, within the last two weeks about coverage and all that and the best way to support these guys and the game and its growth follow their programs on social media facebook twitter threads instagram uh they click on their websites follow their programs follow the organization they're tracking everything follow the publications i am a i'm volunteer as with all these guys so click on volleyballmag.com click on off the blog go to the abca website go to the ncaa website and go to all their social and uh engage they need to see that there is this population of people that just follows men's volleyball here across the nation so with that uh dan friend of lewis we've got brad roster of uc san diego theo edwards of csun and jay hosick of george mason thanks again as always rock solid episode looking forward to catching you some next week jay tomorrow so <laughs> thanks, thanks guys good luck this week see you later. good luck Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter. <laughs>